Well, I want to thank you for being a part of this series on dealing with anxiety and depression. Tonight is an exciting night at session one, and we are going to tackle what is anxiety. And I want to invite you out each night for the next five evenings as we look at this topic of depression and anxiety. We have Pastor Bax here all the way from Australia. And so he is going to help us in the first two sessions here tonight dealing with anxiety. And tomorrow night, he is going to work with us on uh, what is uh, depression. And then we'll continue on with uh, five sessions total this week. And so I hope that you will stay tuned. Each session will be about 45 minutes. And I hope that you'll come back each evening. And uh, we pray this is a help to you. And we pray that if you are one dealing with anxiety or depression, that through this series, you find hope and you find rest in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so without any further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, Pastor Bax, I'm so glad that you are a part of this. And why don't you introduce yourself to our audience here tonight? No, thank you, uh, Pastor Jeremy. Appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you guys and your church there at Monclova Road Baptist Church, all the way from Lighthouse Baptist Church in Rockhampton, Australia. So I would, uh, we're definitely down under if we look at the globe from there. And I, I just appreciate this opportunity. I'm, uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. I've been here at this church now for, I'm going to say, 27 years. About 27 years, I've been the senior pastor for 24 years. And uh, prior to that, I was diff working in different uh, churches, helping out in different areas. I was actually a lawyer before I became a pastor. So I sort of switched from man's law to God's law. That was my sort of switch around from there. And it was just uh, something I felt, well, this is what God wanted me to do. And and I moved uh, in that area. I still deal with and dabble a little bit with uh, law and things. I'm not sure if you obviously know Dr. Gibbs over there, David Gibbs. So he and I are good friends and we often chat back and forth between the differences and things happening in our countries. But I've been, um, I've been married now for 36 years next week. And uh, we have five children and nine grandchildren, which we're very excited about. We have all those kids and it's just, uh, and they all live within our little region here in Rockhampton. Rockhampton's a uh, uh, I would call it, it's a, it's a regional city in Australia. Uh, and obviously Australia is same, same landmass size as you guys there in the United States, but we only have 25 million people. You guys have 400 million people. So most of us are sort of situated on the coast. I'm about uh, 20 minutes from the coast here, from the Great Barrier Reef, where you think about uh, you know, Nemo and the Bruce the Shark and all those sorts of things. So we are... We're right near the Barrier Reef, and it's a beautiful place. And our city, our city has around about seventy-five thousand people. And then you can drive through our city in fifteen minutes, and you will not have another city for another hour and a half south, three hours north, two hours west. There's just it's very isolated little pockets of cities until you get to the major metropolitan areas of our capitals where, you know, our capital is in Brisbane down south. So that's sort of where we're situated. We've got a great little church here. Uh, Australia is a, is a bit of a difficult place when it comes to Christianity and churches. It's um, supposedly a Christian nation, but there is a, a big challenge. Probably about 3% of Australians would go to church on a Sunday. 
it's a to a smaller percentage of people, uh, but it's a they call it the lucky country, I suppose. It's got a lot of resources. It's the laid back country. It's a pretty easy going place. You know, everyone's uh, everyone's your mate, and that's pretty much what happens. It's pretty everyone. The, the common phrase in Australia is "she'll be right," and uh, so you talk to people now. She'll be right, mate. All right, I'm everything's good. You know, so it's a it's a difficult place to minister to reach people and get them in, in, interested in Christianity and Christ, uh, but nonetheless, God's blessed us and it's been a we've done it. It's been really great at what we've been doing here. Good, good. We were hoping. Now, COVID has changed everything for us and for <laughs> you in there in Australia as well. It's changed everything for the world. We had mm. you scheduled to be with us here at Monclova Road Baptist Church. I believe it was September or so, October maybe this fall. Of That's right. Yes. And we weren't able to do that because you're not able to travel. And at the time, we weren't sure what was going on through COVID. Um, mm. but we, we're going to have you come and deal with this topic of depression and anxiety. And mm. As we were praying through this, I know we've talked about rescheduling and having you come, and we're looking forward to that next year, prayerfully. Mm. But we felt like this topic couldn't wait for a year mm. because so many people are dealing with anxiety and dealing with depression. For sure. And I think with what's happening around our world, with um, just with COVID, in our country right now, there's a lot of rioting going on, a lot of mm. political unrest. And it's, it's causing a lot of fear. People have lost their jobs. People are concerned. The stock market has just been up and down. And even Christians, that um, they know the Lord. Mm. Um, they're still battling with depression and anxiety. Mm. And so we're glad that you have taken the time to, to um, spend with us these two evenings about this subject. Mm. What... Um, I know just by our, our audience, I know a lot about you. We have some mutual pastor friends and they speak very highly of you. But there, there's a specific reason why we wanted you to kick this series off for these first two mm-hmm. sessions. How, how did God lead you into this subject of, of mental health? Well, Jeremy, the reason I got involved with mental health, it really wasn't a something I was looking for. It wasn't something I sat in my study one day and thought this would be a great topic to study. Let me dig into this. It was something that came upon my life because of my wife. Uh, my wife has suffered with a mental illness now since 1993, and uh, since 1997 rather. And what had taken place? We had um, for 93. No, it was 93. We we moved to the city we live in now around about that time, and we were my wife was homeschooling at that point. We didn't we started a Christian school here the year after we got here, and uh, I was at that point I was working, I was ministering, uh, worked doing some legal work, working in the church here, and then I, I came home from work one day and came back, and I and my wife something had happened. She's like she had changed. Uh, Countenance had changed. She looked at me and and uh, she just turned, and she's quite a petite lady, and she turned and just ran towards a wall, threw herself into a wall, which was completely out of character. 
We thought, well, I thought, what on earth is going on? Then she just sank to a slump and we later understood she was just so frustrated and couldn't work out what was happening in her. And obviously for us, we were thinking, what is this? What's taken place? And we went through a, a series of things and sent went to doctors and uh, and doctors said to us, look, I think your wife's having a, having a mental breakdown. Uh, then we couldn't, we thought, what for? What's going on? And then people would say, look, it's just, a, it's just all in her head. Well, we didn't realise it was. We didn't know what it was. And we noticed that she started to go through major episodes of deep, deep depression, extreme lows, uh, to uh, where she would then go to extreme highs. And... Uh, we couldn't work out what was going on until we finally had someone give us some heads up and say, this is possibly your wife is suffering with bipolar. Now, you know, you're talking 27 years ago, that's, that wasn't really a popular topic. And you're saying, well, what is, what is bipolar? And it wasn't something that was broadly spoke about. or went, So we went on a quest to really discover what this was. And, and it came out, this is really what what taken place in my wife's life. And so we know, when you understand that, then we started to know, okay, now we know what we're dealing with. So for the last 27 years, uh, she has battled with bipolar, bipolar disorder and has had the major highs and the major lows. And then in between, she's been hospitalized probably, uh, I'm going to say probably about 15 times over the last 27 years. Uh, her last bout, she hadn't been in hospital for about three years. And this year, uh, during this COVID period, uh, it wasn't necessarily the COVID issue that triggered things, but it was just uh, just where she was. She had another bout of hospitalisation. She's doing okay now. And uh, she's a trooper. She's just fantastic. And she battles through this. She's a great testimony for God. She's used of God in, the, in this area. But she... Um, She's had uh, electric shock treatment. There's a range of things. We've gone through numerous things dealing with mental health. So we've, from that, we've we made it a pursuit, and myself especially, I said, I want to know everything about this, and it's became my life pursuit because simply it's a lived experience for us, and we've studied it, researched it, gone through this, and uh, and eventually, obviously, we now try to speak on it, write books about it, and and try to help people on these topics. So you have written books about this topic? Yeah, so I've got, at the moment, I've got, uh, there's the first book we put out, which is this one here, which was called Poles Apart. And you can see there is a photo or a sketch there on the front. And it was a, a lady in our church. I said, I need you to sketch my wife. And so she sketched her, but she couldn't get her mouth. So if you looked at that uh, photo, you'll see that you can't see her mouth. And she said, I just can't. She said, Robert, I can't get the mouth. And uh, I said, we, and Jenny and I said, and Jenny, that's my wife's name. She said, that's perfect because when you often have mental health issues, you, you feel like you can't speak. You don't know how to express what's happening. So we called her the, the woman with no mouth and we, we subtitled this book, A Christian Couple Gives Bipolar a Voice. And in this book, we speak about everything dealing with stigma, with mental health in the scriptures, deal with all different topics and then a whole range of solutions that we worked through, uh, different things. The, the next book that we wrote deals with specifically with anxiety and it's a book that just speaks about uh, what to do when panic attacks and the biblical concepts of that. I have another book which will be coming out 
uh, around October this year, and it's it's specifically just on depression, uh, battling and beating the blues. So there, and we just try to put out information to help people on those topics with a Christian perspective and a biblical understanding of these things. Now we're going to put this information in the notes below for everyone to be able to get these resources because I would like to recommend people purchase these. But real quick before we get into really into the meat of this, what um, how, how could somebody find these books? Is there a, a website that you have or your church website? How, how can somebody get these that are looking? Uh, they're, they're all on my website, which is robertbacks.com. You can go to robertbacks.com. They're also on Kindle, on Amazon Kindle. Uh, and so they're, they're the main sources that you can pick them up from. There, I think there are some other places that they're, the publisher has put them out as well, but they're the general general ones. And um, there are different things we can do. Sometimes I just I can organise shipping to a church as well and distribute them from there. Sometimes from Australia to United States, I have a publisher in the United States as well. And sometimes it works out cheaper for them to be able to print over there and ship directly to you guys from there rather than ship from Australia to... <laughs> sometimes the, the shipping gets ridiculous from Australia to the United States. But we can, through robertbacks.com or Amazon and the Kindle program, it usually can distribute them from there. Good. And I'm hoping over the next, tonight and tomorrow night, people will see the value of getting your books and uh, the help sure. as well. I think a lot of times people ask this question, does the Bible even mention mental health? And mm. um, so I'd like for you to, to help us with that. Does, does the Bible mention mental health? And what do we know about mental health today? Sure. Look, I think when we, I'll say a straight up yes, the Bible does speak to mental health. Uh, when we think of the, the words that we use, uh, if we think of the word anxiety, now, if you're reading a King James translation, it will use the word care or careful. Other translations will use the word anxiousness and anxiety. Those words will be used. Uh, the word lunatic and lunacy. Uh, depression is generally, it's, a, it's used as a word downcast. It's used as different, different phrases of the word. Some translations use the word depression. The word bipolar, you're not going to find that in the scriptures, but you will find examples of that, of different behavior from that. Uh, different people... I believe, as I've studied through the the scriptures, have demonstrated what would, would what would today be categorised a mental health issue or a mental health disorder. Uh, obviously, in the Bible days, they didn't categorise them the way we would today, as, as many illnesses and many disorders today. But Peter, no doubt, there were times I look at times in his life where he suffered with anxiety and panic. Uh, the Apostle Paul, through issues in his life, went through depression moments. Job, Moses, Jeremiah. I think Jonah demonstrates some examples of behavior of what bipolar behavior would be, exceeding glad and exceeding sad, all within a, in a moment, not just sad or glad, but exceeding, going, going to the hyper moments of extremes of the poles uh, in the, the book that I'm writing on depression has, I'm writing a whole section just dealing with some women and issues with depression because I think that's an that's a issue that is sometimes not touched on and dealing with people like Hannah and Naomi and some others in the scriptures who, who demonstrated different characteristics that would be 
symptomatic of depression, depression or some mental health moment from there. That when it comes to mental health as well, I think there is a passage there in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and it's also in Matthew 4 and some other places, where it speaks about the ministry of Jesus. And it says that Jesus went to all the cities and villages, and there were three aspects. He was teaching in their synagogues. That, to me, is education. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There's, there's evangelizing. And then he was healing, and it says every sickness and every disease among the people. So I think almost a third of Jesus' ministry was healthcare. If you think it through that, teaching, preaching, and healing. And if he was healing every sickness and every disease, it would be safe to assume that that included not just physical issues, but it also included mental issues and how he went. And, and we know there were issues in the scriptures where, and I, in, in our book on bipolar, on poles apart, we make a distinction between natural mental illness and then demonic-induced mental illness because, without a doubt, there were times in the scriptures where there was uh, devil issues and demonic issues that brought about a, a mental change or a mental state alteration. Uh, and then there were other times that were straight out problems with mental health. And so we distinguish between those. But the I think what's interesting when we think about mental health as well is what we don't understand we often fear. And mental health is an issue that we sometimes don't understand much about because you know, it would be like this, Jeremy, if I, if I had a broken arm and I'd have a cast on my arm right now, you would see the cast and you would say, oh, you've got a broken arm, you can see that. Uh, if I had cancer, I could take you to a blood test or a, some scans and show you here is my scan, here is my blood test that proves I have cancer or diabetes, etc. But with mental illness, there is no test. You can't go down and get a blood test or urine test or an x-ray. There is no test. Uh, it is all symptomatic diagnosis, not scientific diagnosis. Now, therefore, people will say, well, if there's no scientific test, it doesn't exist. Oh, no, 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 it does exist. It's, it does exist. And there are many, many symptoms on the continuum, if we had a continuum going across from mentally healthy to mentally unwell, the various symptoms that would show up on those areas, which would range from you know, socially connected to socially disconnected, to persist to uh, stable mood to completely unstable and uh, persistent sadness, you would go from one extreme to the other. And, some, and we all travel along that continuum somewhere. But but there will be those who will move completely over to a very mentally unwell state and over thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of symptomatic diagnoses, they've been able to come up with and categorise mental health disorders. Now, I, I should say as well that if, there was a gentleman I travelled to Israel with one time and he um, I was with Kurt Skelly, Pastor Skelly, and I, you obviously you know Pastor Skelly and and he was on the trip with me, and he was a man who'd done PET scans of the brains. And he tipped me off at that point in time about investigating PET scans because PET scans have been able to show the blood flow in people's brains when they are depressed 
and people's brains when they're anxious and people's brains when they're in the normal state. And there is emphatically a difference. So we know there is some, if we want to take scientific proof, there is a difference what happens in the, in the frontal cortex and different aspects of a brain in a person in a depressed state, anxious state, uh, a psychotic state, and a regular state. There is differences between that with the blood flow from there. Uh, the, the other thing I'll mention as well, whilst we don't know a lot about mental illness, we do know enough to state that in your country and in my country here in Australia, uh, one in two people, we're talking 50% of our nations, will suffer and experience some sort of mental health issue in their lifetime. Now, now take that to what's happening yearly. Now, now that's somewhere over year time. One in, one in two people will suffer some type of mental health issue. Now, on an average in a year, one in five people, one in five people will experience a mental disorder. We're talking 20% of people in our congregations uh, and 15% of them will suffer uh, depression to a major extent where it will lead to a tragic attempt at suicide. I, I've studied the, the death rates in your country and in mine and the leading cause of death, sadly, and this might sometimes shock people, there are, more, there are more suicides in your country than there are homicides between the ages of 14 and 35. Suicide is the leading cause of death, of which 90% of those suicides are attributed to a person suffering of mental health. And I think somewhere along the line, the church ought to say, we can help. We, we have an answer. We can help you with this. The, the, the needless, tragic deaths of people Men and 90% of them suffering with a mental health issue. And look, you, you can just look across your country to celebrities, well-known celebrities. Mental health issues have attributed to their suicides. And, and that comes from a range of things. So that's so I, the Bible does speak about it. There are people there, and there are many things we do know about it. What are anxiety disorders? You, you said one out of two people are going to experience it. In specific tonight, we're going to talk about anxiety. Yes. Okay. What would you what What would you tell us on that question? Okay. Well, let me let me firstly just define what I I would define as anxiety, because uh, we have to make a distinction between uh, fear and anxiety. There is a difference between the two, and then panic attacks is another aspect as well. When it comes to anxiety, I call this a present emotion of fear and inner turmoil that's produced by the uncertainty of the future. And that's very clear. It's a present emotion connected to a fear of an uncertainty of the future. Now, as I said, some Bible words would be, you know, care, full of care. Uh, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. You're full of this concept of care, casting your care or casting your anxieties on the Lord. It's, it's a difference between that. Now, let me explain uh, before I give you a list of some of the disorders. When I think of fear and anxiety, put it this way, we have crocodiles in our river here in Rockhampton. 
<laughs> so we have a river that cuts the thing and uh, my, my boys like to do a bit of fishing and they like barramundi fishing. Well, the crocodiles like barramundi too. That's their staple diet. But you can catch some beauty, but really fantastic, you know, barramundi. In fact, one day when we get you here, Pastor Jeremy, I'll have to feed you a nice big piece of barramundi. You'd, you'd right. love it. But the um, you um, you'll go fishing down there, and you will see crocodiles on the bank of the river. Now that's okay. You can see a crocodile when he's in the water. You're not sure where he is. But the thing is, they are there. We know there are crocodiles there. Now, if you're just in your boat, it doesn't bother you. Then all of a sudden you come close to the shore or not close to the bank and you see a crocodile, you will have fear. Because you have to respect. That's a lot of, that's a crocodile. That, that's not a good thing to get out of the boat right now. But anxiety is where now I say I'm never going to go fishing again because I could get out of a boat and a crocodile could be there and I could lose a limb and I'm never, and now this fear affects my whole life because I've become anxious over something in the future that may never even happen. So that, that's where the fear is always the root of anxiety. There is always a fear from there. And what happens is anxiety then catastrophizes. That's a, that's a key sort of a word you think about. It always creates a catastrophe. Worst case scenario, irrational fear. And there is a fine line between genuine concern and irrational fear. Because some, there is genuine concern, but it can switch to become an irrational fear where we become anxious. And then anxiety left, left to itself to run its course can induce panic attacks. And then people go to the, the different panic attacks from there and it produces that fear and flight response. Uh, all because of the the panic that starts to generate. So the the general anxiety disorder, and the the reason they call it a disorder and not a disease, is a disease can be scientifically proven. A disorder is generally symptomatic. That's the distinction. There's there's still illnesses, but that's why they call it the the main anxiety disorder is what you would call GAD, G A D. General anxiety disorder. And that's where you have chronic worry and anxiousness over a prolonged period of time. Then you would have panic disorders, which moves into the panic attacks, uh, to phobias. Uh, another one of the big phobias and anxiety disorders is SAD, S A D, social anxiety disorder. I just can't get around people. I feel anxious around people. Uh, PTSD is an anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, generally triggered by bursts of uh, anxiety because of traumatic event or situation. Uh, many, uh, many soldiers have that coming back from tours. Uh, I've been working with a, an Australian soldier who came back from the Middle East and he, he suffered dramatically with PTSD where he couldn't even drive through the drive through of McDonald's lest he felt a car blocked him from the back or a car from the front. He just, he, he gets into that anxious moment. So he, he read the book Panic Attacks and it really helped him work through PTSD. Uh, OCD, obsessive Compul compulsive disorder, they are all forms of anxiety disorders of which 
and it's big. We're talking in your country, 40 million people suffer from an anxiety disorder of some kind. So you're talking, a, it's a huge chunk of people, uh, 40 million people uh, that suffer from that. 10% of those are teenagers too. So we're talking teenagers who are just the, the projection out of a possible situation that's induced by fear. That, that's what uh, sort of is the issues from there. What, what are factors that are contributing to this disorder? Okay, well, obviously, Jeremy, the fear is the basis, and this is, this is why there's a distinction between anxiety and depression in treatment as well as, as solutions, and I know we'll talk about depression later. Uh, most and most of the issues with anxiety are dealt with and are resolved. Ninety-five percent of them are resolved through what's called CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. Now, I like to spin that around and call it TBC, thinking biblically about care. I sort of spin it around, but it's but it's dealing with the fear. Because the contributing factors to anxiety, it, it is, it's all around fear. Now, there is healthy fears. We know that. There is a healthy fear. Like I said, you, know, you, know, you don't jump, just jump out of the... If you're here in Rockhampton, you don't just jump out of the boat when you're in the river. You check around because it could... You know, we don't baptise in the river for obvious reasons. <laughs> it's probably not a safe place. There are healthy fears. Uh, but there are harmful fears and then become hurtful fears where it debilitates a person. And so fear stops uh, that fear and stress that reduces like a stress hormone that causes discomfort in a person's life to where that can trigger hyperventilation. Uh, when hyperventilation happens, it results in too little, too little carbon dioxide in the lungs. That changes the pH levels of the plasma leads to tingling feelings, lightheadedness, people feel nauseous, and it's all from fear. And that so and, and so yes, you may treat that issue of nausea, nausea, you may treat the issue of lightheadedness, but many times the anxiety and the fear has triggered that. Now there are other factors as well. Uh, there are other factors without a doubt. Uh, genetic predisposition. It's been shown that genetic, there are certain people, uh, for example, my wife is a twin. My wife is a, she's a twin, and both of them suffer with bipolar disorder to different levels, but they both have a similar, similar genetic makeup. So we do know there is a genetic predisposition for some. Uh, brain chemistry, which I'll talk a bit more about when we talk about uh, depression, uh, sometimes the social influences, and I think that's a big one that can be a contributing factor because the, you know, we, we have so much access through, through these things now that we never had before. And I don't think we were meant to take on so much information. And you know, we learn things about Uzbekistan and, and, and Kazakhstan and Turkestan and all the stands that we, we, I don't even know where they all are. And next thing I'm hearing this about that and hearing this and, and, and sometimes the influx of social influences can be triggers to produce again fear. Fear projected out. 
lifestyle factors that can affect this. Uh, sin, anxiousness over sin and guilt, uh, those things there. And I do not discount within the Christian world spiritual warfare. There, so there are some of the things that I look at and when we, when we talk to a person about mental health and especially anxiety, but when we're dealing with anxiety, we really want to pull down to the fear. We, um, we're right in the middle of a pandemic. This mm-hmm. is, I know it's different. We talked a little bit before we started videoing here. Um, it's different in Australia than it is in America. How we're dealing with it, how our governments are dealing with it are very different. We're in a, um election season this year, and yeah. so it's all over the media. Three million, as of this recording, some three million Americans have um, contacted the COVID-19. Uh, 130,000 have died, and, and um, they're saying that we're still in the first wave of it. People have lost their jobs. The stock market every day, it's, it's, if it goes up today, then it's, it's crashing, it seems, mm-hmm. tomorrow. Well, we're worried about our school system. Uh, we're not sure what school is going to look like in the fall. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like um, this pandemic is creating new fears, or is it just exposing what is really already there inside of us? Okay, that's a great question. Because you know we we've experienced a measure of this, and I know there was there was a little statements going around that it's not the pandemic of COVID we need to worry about; it's the pandemic of panic that we need to worry about, and people panic buying, and and all of that. What did that What did that really bring out? Uh, and again, it brought out that people let fear control them. Now, did it bring out new fears? Well, potentially, there may have been things they hadn't thought about that now all of a sudden brought out the fact I had didn't think that the stock market would ever crash. I didn't think that you would ever run out of toilet paper at Walmart. I didn't think that. I never thought those things. So potentially it's brought out some new objects that we place our fear in losing or, or risking or it may be. But I do think at the root of all of this, comes back to it exposed what was already there, especially in, and this is where Christianity and where Christ and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit helps, because it exposes a lack of trust in any circumstance. And I think one of the great, you know, my life, my, my wife's life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, chapter 3, you know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And we we often talk about replacing the word Lord in there and put the word worry. Trust in worry with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge worry, and worry shall direct thy paths. And we'd all read that and go, oh, that's foolish. You wouldn't do that. Yet people are doing that. And and so we have to come back and and I think what it is, it's um it really it just exposes that when a fear unchecked and a thought unchecked, that's why we talk about thinking biblically about care and thinking through this in in the book on on panic attacks that we wrote, I deal with the Philippians 4 passage 
where it talks on think on these things and uh, how we, we, we must bring our, our thoughts into captivity because that's the thought will produce the fear that produces everything that goes on to the worry, uh, to the doubt, to the anxiety, and they all contribute to this. And so you think about a person who is uh, thinking about the pandemic. What am, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay the mortgage? What's going to happen with my job? And it's the what ifs, the how. And, and fundamentally, it's a worry and a fear and a lack of trust. And, it's, and I understand people say, well, that's easy to say that, but God says it all through the scriptures. It's a Christian principle of life. And the mind and the heart, how we think and how we feel, are spoken of in the Bible more than any other part of our body. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. And how you think, how you feel, is spoken over and over. And God has so much to say about that. And I think many times during, like, even this pandemic moment, you know, sometimes we take far better care of our bodies and our homes than we do our hearts and our minds. And God is saying that's what needs to be protected right now because that's what will help us through these moments. Otherwise, left unchecked, as I said, it'll, it, it, those thoughts will run. The, the worries will consume us and we will, yes, as foolish as it sounds, trust in worry in all I heart and, and lean on worry and acknowledge worry and, and it just produces its own, exacts its own consequences when we do that. So what are some bad ways that people can respond to fears? Specifically, do you have some? What, what, are some, so there are some bad ways they respond to these fears? Uh, okay, so obviously there are things that people do in reaction and instead of acting, people react and they have those knee-jerk reactions. Obviously that can create hostilities within families. People can start to become agitated quicker. Uh, people can move into depression with this where they start to get so depressed where they become dysfunctional, uh, where some people can even say, well, if, where is God in this and walk away from their faith in this? They think, well, I can't believe this is happening. And uh, there's a sense of entitlement that can come to people. A range of, of, of consequences all stemming from that to the point where people can move into full-out full out panic attacks. We, we've just had, uh, and I'm no doubt you have it over there, they were doing some studies just recently on the effects of COVID here in Australia and the Lifelines and the Beyond Blue and the Black Dog Institute is how many, the frequency of calls, have they gone up and what is the state? And people have tragically taken their lives, feeling there is no hope feeling there is there's nothing to reach out for. That's where I believe God's, God has an answer. The church has an answer. There's a vehicle that the scriptures can give hope and can help us through those things. So uh, I would think, you know, the bad ways people respond to it, some people go into, uh, you know, and some people move off into some type of other ways to cope. Uh, move off into alcohol, move off into drugs, move off into some way to numb the pain and look for a, another way to, to numb what's happening when it's, it's not going to help at all. If anxiety is, is, is so prevalent in so many people, why is mm -hmm. it that some people don't seek the help? 
Why do okay, they internalize it and deal with it on their own? I'll give you I'll give you one word. It's the word stigma. And there is a stigma that is attached to anyone who has mental a mental health issue. For example, if you went to work, if a person goes to work and or they ring up and they say to their boss, uh, I can't come in today, I've I've got the flu. Most people understand that. If they ring up and said, I can't come in today, I'm suffering anxiety. Potentially, that then causes the boss to say, they're worried, well, what will the boss think about me if I, if I am a depressed person, an anxious person? Maybe my job is now at risk. Maybe people will think less of me. And people have taken it on as though people can think, have a, an opinion against them in a negative way because they have mental illness, and it happens. Again, it comes back to that statement I made, what we do not understand, we fear. And when you hear about a person who's suffering, suffering with uh, you know, borderline personality disorder or uh, schizophrenia, and we, we do not understand it, we're a little bit afraid of it, and therefore we don't want to get engaged with that. We don't want to uh, be around that person or we want to avoid that person. So therefore people are not going to be forthcoming to say, I'm struggling with anxiety or I'm struggling with depression because they fear the stigma. Now, in Christianity, in Christianity as well, it's, um, it is sometimes demonized. A person is suffering with uh, mental illness and they must say, what, are you got some, are you demon possessed or something, you know? And again, we know that in the scriptures there were moments of that, especially in the gospel accounts. Uh, but then it's denied. It's, it's doubted when it really needs to be discussed. It'll be, it'll be dismissed with this. Well, you know what? You just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible more. And that, that doesn't help anyone because it puts even a more of a, a sense of worthlessness on this person or hopelessness on this person. And as a Christian, I think sometimes they feel, they, they, they feel obligated to hide it because they don't want to make God look bad. I mean, after all, I'm a Christian. How could I be suffering anxiety? After all, I'm a Christian. How could I have depression? And they feel if I, if I say something, maybe it could, be, it could tarnish the church. It could tarnish Christianity. It could tarnish God's reputation. So sometimes people feel a little bit obliged to hide it as well, and it all comes down to stigma. One of the, one of the things that we've, we've decided to write these books and speak about it is because someone should speak about the elephant in the room. And we know it's there. Let's break the silence and help remove the stigma. That's, that's what it is. And I think when, as I mentioned um, in, our, in our pre-discussions, when I've ever spoke about mental illness, the amount of people that will start to open up and they'll say, I'm so thankful you said this, you spoke about this, and start to tell me about people in their family or themselves and others who've whispered in a little bit of fear that someone might know they have it. And I think the more we speak about it, the more we help remove a stigma to let people know this is an illness. This is no different than somebody who has cancer or somebody who has diabetes. This is something they're struggling with. And, uh, and I always tell people you can remove the stigma. And one way to remember we can remove the stigma is this. 
We just need to remember we are all broken people. We're all broken people. And and the church ought to be the safest place on planet Earth where we can come and talk about brokenness and find help in our brokenness, whatever measure of brokenness that is. Uh, My wife likes to use a little quote that we read many years ago, and it's this quote. It says that my brokenness, my brokenness is a far better bridge to people than my pretend wholeness ever was. That's good. That that then had the openness, the transparency, the vulnerability. My brokenness has been a bridge to people, and we've seen that over and over. Uh, even when my wife um, is doing well, different times, the hospital will call her and say, "We've got a support group. Would you mind coming up and joining the support group? Because you just give such valuable contribution to people." And she just speaks freely. And they said, "We know you talk this God stuff, but." <laughs> They said, you just, you seem to have such a positive attitude and a helpful attitude, and she does. And she soldiers through this. And she'll have some down, down times too, where she'll be very down and she'll just work through it. I call her my hero because a hero is someone who has succeeded while struggling with the same problems that others have used as excuses for failure. And she just plows on through that. You've said some things that, um, my mind is just working here. You're talking about a, a spouse that's dealing with a spouse that has a mental disorder, anxiety specifically. You're talking about an employer that um, gets a phone call. If it's the flu, if it's cancer, if it's some kind of treatment, take a sick day. Anxiety, not sure what that is. Mm. Could you speak to, and I know we're going off script here just a, a little bit, could you speak to the person not with the disorder, but the one that is dealing with someone? How can they be more sensitive? How can they be more understanding and allow that person to, to put the stigmas away to be able to function and operate and be the spouse or be the employer that they can be, but they battle with this anxiety? You know, Jeremy, my wife helped me immensely with this because as a husband and a spouse, I got incredibly frustrated. I got very frustrated. I got uh, angry. I got um, confused because I didn't know. I didn't know what was taking place. So one of the, the greatest things you can do is learn about these issues. If you are a family member, a spouse or a carer or a friend, Take some time to do some research and learn about what these things are that a person is going through. Because if you do that, you're more informed, which will help you become more understanding as you work through those things. Uh, the, The other thing which is very helpful is many times we try to tell people to, you know, snap out of this or what is wrong with you and and none of those things help. There is, my wife has taught me greatly to never ask this question. How are you feeling today? What, how are you going today? Because it builds even more anxiety. Instead, because she's not feeling good. And to then have to turn back around and say, I'm not doing good. I'm still not doing good. I'm, I'm still struggling. It builds more, it compounds the issue. So we've learned not to even ask that question. But instead, we, stay, we say, look, I'm with you the whole way. 
I'm with you in this journey. And it, this will come to pass. And we just carry on life as normal. We just move as best as we can. We, I take up a little bit of slack where we need to take up slack, uh, look at the things that can potentially be triggers and help remove some of those triggers, whether it is like we had little children, we had five little children at home. Uh, and at that point in time, there'll be times I say, okay, let me just remove the children from the home to give you a break. Uh, let me do the, the grocery shopping this week. You know, look at ways to help minimise the stresses or presses that could be contributing at different moments or, or adding to it to exacerbate what was taking place. So it's learning to be sensitive, learning to be very patient, patient with people, and to, to thank God for the situation that you're in as well because this is a chance where God is saying, now here is a chance for you to exercise those things where you can be merciful where you can show compassion. See, see, many times we like to, we sometimes think about the Good Samaritan and there are a couple, many people in that whole parable of the Good Samaritan. There's the guy half dead on the road and then there's the Good Samaritan, there's the lawyers, there's the innkeepers, there's the Levites, all these people and all have a different role. And I often say, you know, God may place you there and you may be the person half dead on the road. You may be the person with depression, anxiety, and these issues, and you, you feel half dead, stripped, beaten, robbed. You feel that way. And we need the good Samaritans in our life who simply just come in, who are willing to pay the cost, carry that burden, put you on their beast, pour in what they can into your life, and care for you. And, to show, and, and that's being neighbourly. And I think sometimes the way we help a person suffering with anxiety, somebody go and pick up a meal for them uh, or create a meal for them, then, then we do that from there. That's good. That is really good. I know we're coming down to the end of our time here, and I want to talk specifically to someone that's dealing with anxiety. Um, and what you just gave us I think was great. If, if one out of every two people are going to, suffer some mental disorder that means the person that isn't suffering it is going to be dealing with someone that is we uh we're coming down to the end here and i am i want to talk specifically to somebody that's dealing with anxiety right now i, I think mm-hmm. you just gave us one out of every two people are going to suffer with anxiety that means all of us are probably going to deal with someone suffering and so what you gave us i think was so valuable how do we have the patience and the, and just give the time to those that are suffering. But I'm, I believe that there are going to be a lot of people here that say I'm the one dealing with anxiety and I'm dealing with it right now. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm watching. When anxiety hits, what can that person practically do? Okay. Well, firstly, firstly, I'd say to that person, remember a couple of things, and this will help you at the beginning. You are not alone. Just remember that. Many times when a person suffers anxiety or depression or an anxiety we're talking about at the moment, they feel as though they're all alone. Recognize that you are, you are not alone. The second thing is to remember that your faith is not broken. It's not an issue of my faith is broken. I've lost. This is God's gone. That's not an issue. You are suffering with anxiety. Just remember that. And that God is still for you. God wants to work with you. 
God wants to help you through these things. And remember that anxiety is not just not just a spiritual issue. It is a physical issue at times. There is sometimes triggers. There could be some stresses around you. There could be some things happening. So remember that those things are taking place. But at the root of this subject, we have to look at those things that could that could be a fear. Now, what what I will do is in in the book uh, here, Jeremy, I talk about a whole range of I call them casting techniques. You know, you you talk about um, cast your care upon the Lord. You know, cast your cares, cast your anxieties. Uh, and interesting terminology because Peter was a fisherman who was casting a net all the time. And there are there are numerous things of Bible verses to go through, questions you can ask yourself, uh, prayer, how to, and to simplify your life in those moments. In anxiety, in anxious moments, learn to simplify rather than complicate. Learn to simplify from there. But one, one big thing, and I'll just a touch on this. In that passage on 1 Peter, Verse uh, five, uh, verse seven, at chapter five, where it says, "Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you." It's you have to remember that 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 is not a a command; it's a result. You because you must we must go back to verse six, and in verse six it says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God." that he may exalt you in due time, colon, casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. And what we find, as I humble myself before God and I come back to God and I say, God, you know, I've got to be careful that, I know this sounds strange, that my anxiety is not a pride issue because it's about me and I'm getting fearful about what people think of me. I shouldn't be going through this. What's going to happen here? What happens if I lose control? And it comes back to sometimes it's a subtle form of of pride at times where we're we're focused in on on what's going to happen here. I have to be the one who handles this. I'm the one who has to do this. How am I going to to solve this problem? Where am I going to get the money from to pay this? Where am I? And I've got to come back to verse 6 and I've got to say, I've got to humble myself before the mighty hand of God. And as I do that, the result is casting my anxieties upon him because I recognize he cares for me. He is the one who's going to hold me with his hand. He's the one who's there. See, see, he's the all-sufficient one. He is the all-powerful one. And, And then I have to stop and say, why am I afraid? Why am I letting fear control me? because I humble myself before the mighty hand of God. So sometimes we, we, simply, we simply try to practice verse 7. Well, I've cast my care upon him. I've been praying and casting my care and casting my care. And they say, no, but that's not the command. It's the result of humbling. It's the result of verse, verse 6. If you don't practice verse 6, verse 7 doesn't flow on. And, and you'll, be doing, you'll be getting more anxious <laughs> in what you're doing. So it's one of the greatest casting techniques is to do that. I think for for others as well, uh, for, the, for that person there specifically, there are other things you can do with breathing. There's I talk about breathing exercises, and there, there's some many things: songs, music, uh, avoiding the triggers, and start you start to identify those triggers. If a person 
goes through moments where they know they have often anxious moments, where they're having anxious moments. In their good moments, I always get them to, in those moments, tick off those things that can potentially be triggers, recognize them in their good moments and build a plan, build a, a safe plan. You know, they talk about these COVID safe plans now to reopen places. Build, a, build an anxious safe plan and know, hang on, these are the scriptures I'm going to go to. This is the person I'm going to call. This is the songs I'm going to listen to. This is the things I'll withdraw from. And, we, and we've done that in our life where we've, we've developed things that we've pulled back from that we know, okay, we, we always knew around, around school holiday times or school vacation times, the additional stress could often sometimes trigger some mental health things in my life. So we would set up some safe plans around that. So there are some things that you can sort of practically work through. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this session, this first session on what is anxiety. And if you were watching this evening, I pray that you've been helped. Maybe you know someone that's suffering anxiety. Maybe you know someone that their spouse or their employer, um, they manage people, and you feel like this would be a great uh, session that they need to watch so they can deal properly with people that are suffering anxiety. And I want to invite you back tomorrow as we are again with Pastor Bax and session two on what is depression. Thank you again for watching tonight. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow.